And now it's time for East Cast and reports from coastal stations. East Utsira, West Utsira, South West Utsira and North North East Utsira. Wind South West, rain at times, good. Forties, fifties, sixties, Tyne, Dogger, German Bite, French Kiss and Swiss Roll. Westerly becoming cyclonic, good. Right here in London's East End. Operating at any level, any time, anywhere, and with anybody. Who are they? One might be your secretary, your doctor's receptionist, or a dancer in a go-go club. They're coming for you. Look, there comes one of them now. Now, now, now. Hello and Happy New Year and welcome back to Eastcast here on Resonance 104.4 FM and DAB. Eastcast is a monthly delve into the arts, the culture and the community bubbling away in East London and for this month only also from East Glasgow. But as always, resonating way beyond. So wherever you're listening... Good to have you with us. I'm Pearl Wise and I'm here with Johnny Virgo for our first show of 2018. Hello, Eastcasters. As always, um, the show is as eclectic as can be, and that's the word I think that best defines Eastcast. Mm-hmm. Um, we will be hearing from non-native Glaswegians um, as we twin the show with East Glasgow. And later on, we will hear from rising guitar impresario John Fairhurst, who will be performing live in the studio. And I had the privilege of interviewing some Olympians from London 1948. Uh, I'm not normally a big sports groupie, but the story of Arthur Wendt, the fighter pilot and the original Usain Bolt inspired me beyond belief. But first, let's celebrate all things female as I introduce Petra Cluck, the events manager at the Numbers Group and organiser of a new female-centric event called Womb 2, and Madeleine Dunnigan, co-editor of the beautifully produced glossy and online magazine Ladybird. Welcome. Thank you. Hi, Hi. thanks for having us. (laughs) So, Petra, let's uh, start with you. Could you explain a little bit about Womb 2? What is it and why are you organising this event? (laughs) Well, um, well, the idea behind Womb 2 is basically to have a fun day filled with a lot of exciting female talent and a lot of females helping each other out, networking, talking, giving advice to everyone. So the event is completely... Uh, inclusive we're not limiting it and labeling anyone so everyone is invited but the idea is to celebrate women to promote booking more women uh, within the arts and maybe like the underground music community and um, yeah basically showcase females what we can do Okay, so give us a bit of kind of insight into what what kind of things can we expect? All right, so we'll each event. So first of all, we'll be doing it monthly mm-hmm. at number nineteen Hackney Wick. Uh, what you can expect from each event is a Womcast Q and A. So we'll have um, some really really um, great women that are at, at the top of their industry, so within music mostly, who will be giving um, advice to anyone who is uh, you know who comes over and wants to listen. We'll be limiting these events to 20 people so it's a really intimate kind of Q&A it's very interactive 
immersive where you can ask them whatever you want and they can give you an insight into their lives and their careers and how they got to where they are. And then the whole day um, will basic, uh, uh, yeah, will basically be um, surrounded with lots of females as well. So we'll have a female graphic designer every time designing the artwork behind the event, so the branding behind each of the events. We'll have a live PA by a kind of like emerging um, female artist as well from London or uh, surroundings, doesn't matter really. Uh, we'll have some live artists creating art during the event as well so you can talk to them about how what they're doing what you know colors or you know inspiration how they're drawing it basically they'll be doing it at the event as well in front of us and we'll have some really really good female DJs as well doing the um, kind of you know performance for the after party we'll have a VJ as well showcasing her um, video work in the background during the whole night we'll have a female photographer taking photos <laughs> during the event uh, we'll have an art exhibition from a female artist as well in the uh, gallery inside the uh, venue and uh, as well we have a female sound engineer kind of you know managing the whole night <laughs> okay so yeah definitely <laughs> female centric is the word I'm I've got lots of questions and um, maybe the first one is probably why but I'm gonna save it because I want to introduce uh, Madeleine Hi. Hi. Um, so you're you're the co-editor of um, Lady Beard. So tell us a, a bit about that. Um, so like our, our tagline is Lady Beard is a feminist glossy that takes the form and format of the glossy but revolutionises the content. It's a 200-page chunky annual magazine. Uh, we have no adverts and we take a topic, a, a theme each time the first one was sex the next one was mind and we're coming out with beauty in a couple of months and just try and offer um anything i i guess break down these kind of tired um misrepresented or underrepresented topics in the mainstream media so we have over 70 contributors lots of art lots of illustration a range of different kinds of writing you have some long-form journalism in there but we also have bits of flash sort of personal experiences um and yeah it's hopefully a treat and fun to read <laughs> and then we also run events alongside that so we have where we did a few things at festivals this summer um and we do a big launch party alongside each magazine which sounds very similar to womb too in a lot of ways we do have some men involved um but they it's like quite interdisciplinary okay. yeah <laughs> um there's art there's panel discussions films installation drag all your favorite things so what i'm interested in so you're both kind of you know you're both young women doing these kind of very female-centric events and you know um publication why why do we need this now surely we've got beyond this why why do we need to kind of focus on women at the moment do you should i go first yeah, yeah, go. um <laughs> so we actually started a while ago so when you say now i'm like we've been okay now for the past few years yeah. it's become yeah. um suddenly way more prevalent like feminism was I think the word of the year for the Oxford Dictionary and um, I guess it's 
it began as a, a very political, almost dirty word in some senses, and now it's been taken by the mainstream and popularised and is on the mainstream agenda in a way that it hasn't been before. And we, it sounds bizarre that we're still so shocked by it and interested, um, but with things like the Me Too campaign and with, I guess, places where before it was shunned, it's now being embraced, it has more weight and energy than before which is quite exciting and also because we're living in a world of extremes you know you Mm. have really exciting things happening in the left and in more radical spaces and then we also live in a world where Donald Trump is president and you look at the recent cabinet reshuffle and it's probably the most bland cabinet we've had in a while (laughs) Petra, have you got anything to add? Yeah, I mean, what I would like to say is kind of that, like, I never kind of consider myself being a feminist in that sort of way. But again, like, how how do you actually define it? Like what you said as well, I guess the word had some kind of negative connotations in in the past as well behind it or whatever. But I do, I, yeah, I do... I'm I'm very kind of proud of who I am and I've always been working really hard on getting where I am and trying to help other, you know, people, it doesn't matter if they're men or women or whatever, alongside with it. And now I kind of feel, um, yeah, with everything that's been going on, you know, with the Me Too campaign really touched me and I never thought I was going to be sharing my experiences with, you know, the social media, you know, and everything, but I did because I felt I needed to. So I also felt with this event and everything that I'm, that I'm doing, um, like I said as well, it's fully inclusive to everyone, but I do, I kind of am a bit of a, in a I don't know, kind of like a rebel or whatever, and I really hate the patriarchy and everything. Uh, so I wanted to showcase some really, really powerful women who, um, yeah, who who can top, you know, everyone in their fields, doesn't matter which gender or sexuality or label or whatever they are, really. So I've noticed um, recently that, and, and I think your glossy magazine kind of represents this in a way, is that the image of feminism has changed a lot. You're allowed mm. to be sexy, you're allowed to be glossy. Feminist magazines in the past used to be quite... Uh, DIY and um, have that aesthetic and be quite zany and you've obviously made quite a conscious choice and decision to make this into you know as glossy as Vogue like it is Mm. there are no adverts but it's very shiny glossy beautiful photography and and that's obviously a choice so why why Um, that aesthetic again I guess it's shifting context so maybe with second wave feminism the things that you're resisting it would be maybe a uh, a sexualization or an objectify objectification is that the right word yeah of women yeah. objectification um and therefore the reaction to that is to desexualize yourself deobjectify yourself to uh reject the feminine in a lot of ways and i think the debate has moved past that or the conversation has moved past that to incorporate um what previously would have been rejected as a as a kind of feminine image um so we didn't want and we're very inclusive and we want to be intersectional so we want to incorporate all the different strands that feminism can touch upon and also you know part of the reason we made it's because we all love magazines we all read vogue we read l when we were 
younger and we love the feel of them, we love the look of them, we love the images, but we hated the way they made us feel. So we were trying to create something that recreated that covetable, kind of delicious object without the harmful messages that came with them. And how do you survive without the the advertising? What's the we all kind have of full time jobs? Uh, right. Doing okay. All the things. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but the magazine is self sustaining, and we try and pay our contributors as far as we can, even if it's a nominal fee. Um, we survive partly because of the launch. So the, that's quite a big thing for us. It's a big event. Um, but yeah, we actually had a finance meeting on Sunday, and it was not that positive (laughs) (laughs) so watch this space and if there are any wealthy donors listening please get in touch we also need the wealthy donors for resonance fm but we'll talk about that later um petra i'm gonna um slightly put a spanner in the works and be devil's advocate here um i noticed your two guests um from the music in uh, from the music industry but they both have very feminine jobs um they are not the kind of you know i just think they are jobs that you know one of them's a brand manager and one one of them works in social media um so no surprises there where are the women that are kind of doing what are usually conceived as male jobs like isn't that what we we're kind of aspiring to well i'm i'm going to correct you just a bit here to be honest yeah uh so basically jenny cochran she's a director she's one of the five directors in a major music company the other four are men but doesn't matter um and she used to be the director of tour and events administrator of sound as well so brand manager of one of their brands for the company that she works with is just one of their one of her jobs okay fine Uh, and then uh, chloe uppington the other speaker as well so she used to be a director of a of a promoter uh promotion agency um sorry not agency they're they're a live music promoter called sound crash and she currently just took up on a job to be the marketing manager for eater on ears which is a massive promoter in um, london and she's also the social media manager for one of their festivals a big festival called field day Day, in london so um, I I will correct you there. Okay, fine, fair <laughs> enough. I wanted to be corrective, so that's um, absolutely fine. But again, I do, I don't know. I really don't like the, all of those, you know, like labeling like men's jobs, female jobs, sure, women's exactly. jobs, and so on. Uh, everyone who will be um, included in the event especially in the Wombcast, so the Q&As, will mostly be uh, mine or friends of uh, Lucy, the other girl who's uh, involved with the event. So... Um, so yeah, we'll we'll just be getting um like some really really good women and uh, who who we know are really really good in their jobs and who can give a lot of advice um to other people in what what they're doing really. Great. Um I'm also, okay, I'm going to Yeah, go on. Dig, dig <laughs> a bit more. Um so uh, in a previous life I was a club DJ and okay. um I read recently an independent um an article in the independent about this kind of the new wave of female DJs and how excited the journalist was about seeing female DJs on mm-hmm. on stage and I was just like oh god not this again <laughs> like I feel like um I've been in those articles and I've been yeah. on those stages and it's like this is like every few years we have this kind of a reawakening that you know mm. female DJs exist and women in the music industry exist and it's just like 
I feel like we've gone through this cycle yeah, way yeah. too many times. It's like every day for yeah. me, just with women and anything and yeah. feminism. Why are we doing it again? No, I, I agree with you on that one. But I think it's just a story that keeps getting recycled, basically. And then every every single time there's a new, um, I don't know, person. I'm not going to say men or women, women yeah. or whatever, coming, um, you know, into those um, jobs that need to write something or so on. Uh, um, yeah, they think that, yeah, maybe it's maybe it is for them, you know, like I'm not going to say maybe it is for yeah, them. Maybe, maybe they discovered it. Maybe they're really excited about, you know, the new wave of female DJs. They're surrounding the person at the moment, you know, but maybe they're just not um, aware that obviously it's been happening for years and years and so many different genres, so many different um, places not just in underground music and not just in music as well but I guess in a way maybe I mean if, if it just touches a you know one or two n- new people you know maybe an older generation who don't know about the new generation or maybe the new generation learns about the older ones or something I mean I don't think it's a bad idea um, so I don't I don't yeah I don't want to be um, negative about um, yeah, someone kind of shining a light on uh, the females in any sort of um, industry, I guess. Thank you. Uh, uh, Madeline, you're going to read us a short extract? Yeah. Yeah, uh, from the magazine? One or... Let's go with one and see, see how we go. Um, so we open every issue with um, 10 to 12 very short experiences on the theme uh, and... I'm going to read you one of the beauty ones. They're just a kind of snapshot into someone's experience of that theme. Uh, Okay. If I'm wearing beige, I fear I might die. My motto is, don't wear beige, it might kill you. And it really might. I'm about to be 77 in a couple of weeks. I don't feel that age, and most of the time I don't look that age. But put me in beige clothes, in a beige room, and I turn into an ancient crone. I feel physically sick. Instead, I always turn to the bright, childish primary colours. I adore red in particular. It's the colour of life, of passion, of happiness. Red makes me feel alive, clever, young and beautiful, and it contrasts beautifully with so many other fabulous colours. Red and turquoise, red and yellow, red and purple, red and pink, be still my heart. When I wrap myself in red, or I wrap myself in art, I am invincible, and it's this feeling that I want to carry with me everywhere and share with this grey, scared world. I've had criticism online sometimes, with people dismissing me, saying, she just wants everybody to look at her, doesn't she? Yes, I do. I want them to see art and beyond beyond beige. That is what life is all about. Thank you very much. And um, yeah, no beige in this room. Yeah. <laughs> okay, although I am wearing all black. Which well. is very <laughs> um, so uh, let's just get some details of. So first of all, the magazine. How do people find it? Where do they find the hard copy? Where do they read about it online? Read the articles. Yeah. yeah. Um, so we have a website. Yeah. www. Crucial part. Um, Ladybird magazine. .co.uk. Unfortunately, we're sold out of the first two issues and we do actually sell out quite quickly. So get your pre-orders in for the beauty issue, which will go on sale mid-February. We've then got an exhibition at Guest Projects in March. Um, dates of which I think is the 19th to the 24th. Um, and then we have 
a really big launch party, which should be very fun, at Hackney Showroom on the 28th of April. So get them in your diary. Great. And where, where do people get oh, the magazine? So you get yeah. the magazine on, online from our, from yeah. our website. And then also, um, according to our distributor in most shops, so I think things like Art Words, um, The Tate... Art words. Um, <laughs> so basically, where you find your kind of yeah. independent, Art, arty, um, independent yeah, magazine yeah, shops yeah. and bookshops, ICA, lots in East London. Great. Um, Petra, yes. Womb 2, when's it happening? <laughs> where? So um, we are having our launch party uh, this Friday, actually. So two days. So 12th of January. Um, we will be doing it once a month, mostly on the first weekend of the month. So uh, 12th of January, the first one, it'd be really, really nice to see everyone there. Where? At number 90 <laughs> in Hackneywick. <laughs> uh, so yeah, number 90 venue in Hackneywick. And then I have uh, exclusively for you guys, the next two um, are scheduled for the 2nd of February and 2nd of March. So um, on the Monday um, after this uh, launch party, we're going to announce uh, the next um, round of the events. So yeah, so you, we don't have a website yet we just started so uh, we're on Facebook we have a Facebook group and all of our events are going to be on Facebook and I just started an Instagram so we're going to take a little photo here as well Uh, so yeah so make sure you follow us great thank you both very much for joining us and um, yeah we'll we'll sort of keep keep our listeners updated on what you're doing thanks for having us thanks for having us (laughs) thank you you're listening to East Coast on Resonance 104.4 FM and DAB all our stories, past and present, can be found on eastcastshow.com. And if you ever, ever want to uh, see a show, not miss a show again, just search East Cast Show London on iTunes or your favourite podcast provider and you'll get the show straight into your feed. And please do leave us a review. It makes a lot of difference. I, well, I've spoken in the past about the mysterious character that got me doing some black history documentaries about three or four years ago. Um, I met him in a hotel bar while I was just having a drink and we got talking and he asked me to start making these docs. This one inspired me greatly. It's the story of an, uh, a Jamaican hero called Arthur Wint, who was an airman in the Second World War and an Olympic gold medalist. That we have people like Dr. Arthur Wint who served this country during World War II. Arthur Wint came from a family whose father lived in Kingston, Jamaica, and he was cared. And he was one of those Jamaicans who, at the early stage of war, 1939, decided to leave Jamaica. And they actually paid their way to Canada and joined the Royal Air Force, where they were trained to serve Britain. And having returned to England during the middle of the war in 1943-1944-1943, it was then during the Battle of Britain when England had to defend itself at its most. When Arthur, having studied very hard and the training were very short for young men to go and fly an airplane and fight against the German hordes. meters final. A British Commonwealth United States battle with McKinley and Wint of Jamaica and Whitfield of the USA. They're off. 
1936 Olympics, yeah. and uh, that's Arthur. Mm -hmm. And uh, next to him is MacDonald Bailey, the sprinter from Trinidad, mm -hmm. and I'm next to him there. And I came into that team, I was rather out of my depth because I wasn't up to that standard at the time. Mm -hmm. But I was improving, and in the next year, 1947, we were in the RAF team again at Uxbridge. And um, I got to know Arthur a bit better, because when I was first there, I was an AC2, the lowest form of life in the Air Force. Okay. And Arthur was a great character, he was six foot five tall. He was a flight lieutenant, he had wings, he'd been a pilot. Um, I was in awe of him, and he'd also, also got the reputation of being a very fine runner. We ran in the inter-service championships, and the inter-service championships were all relays, so I was running with Arthur Wint in the four by half mile mm -hmm. on each occasion, and I was glad I was on his side. I'm in the arena, and you can probably imagine I'm extremely nervous. I'm 17 years old, so, you know, I'm kind of a little bit like this and very jittery, waiting for my first attempt at getting in the circle and throwing. And suddenly, a gentleman comes up to me, and I look up, and he says, um, you look a little bit nervous. So I said, well, yes, I am. You know, I'm a bit worried that I'm not going to do very well. Don't worry, he said. All you can do is your best. He said, now, just sit down and relax. You'll be fine, he said. Do what you do in training, he said. Then you'll get a good result. With that, off he went. Now, he'd been warming up for his own competition. And I thought, oh, this is strange, you know. I've never met this man. I don't know who he is. I saw him go off and carry on warming up. So I asked somebody, I said, can you tell me who that athlete is? Oh, yes, he said, that's Arthur Wind. World record holder McKinley dashes into the lead and at the halfway mark is almost 10 yards up on the rest of the field. Coming into the home stretch, it's Wint who challenges the leader. My name is Alun Dombea Samba and I am the Jamaica High Commission to the United Kingdom. He had so many sides to him. He was not one-dimensional. He was an RAF officer, mm -hmm. he was an athlete, he was a doctor, he was a high commissioner. In fact, he was the second high commissioner to Jamaica. I am the twelfth, mm -hmm. so I feel like I'm standing on his shoulders here. And <clears throat> just to say that everything that he did, he did to the best of his ability. When he finished his stint here as high commissioner and went back to Jamaica, he went and practiced medicine in rural Jamaica, in Linstead, rather than staying in the lights of Kingston. We came out of the Air Force and I was studying for design at an art school and he went to St Bartholomew's Hospital to study medicine in 1948. The thing was in university at that time we were all rather older because we'd been in the services before before we went to university and we've got up to quite a high standard 
And yeah, by 1951, I mean, Arthur Wimp was known because he'd got this gold medal in the Olympics. 50 yards from the tape, it seemed impossible that he could do it. But he comes through with a magnificent effort to equal the Olympic record time of 46.2 seconds. Slow motion emphasizes his perfect action at the end of a brilliant race. coming to power, Michael Manley approached my father and asked him to consider leaving medicine for a while to act as Jamaica's High Commissioner to the UK. Now Arthur Wint was probably one of the most unlikely people to be considered for a diplomatic post. He had no experience in that field, he cared little for the trappings of power, and had absolutely no interest in the social aspects of such a job. Yet he cared passionately about his Jamaican people, whether they happened to be in Jamaica or not. There was much soul-searching following Manley's overture. The family came together for tea at our home in Mona Heights. I don't know, do you remember this, Alison? Yes? My two sisters, my mother's two brothers, their wives and children, to discuss the, prospe the prospect. And after deep debate, my father accepted Manley's proposal. Not everyone was convinced that he was the right person for the job. Some people thought it was a good idea to send him. Others said that they should have sent someone who was a career diplomat. But the main criticism, my mother says, was that doctors could not be spared at that time. But the question is, when is a time when doctors can be spared anyhow? We're always short of doctors. So it was in 1974 that he embarked for England again. Your father was my consultant in Lindsay Hospital. Is that right? When as a, as a young athlete, I chipped one of my vertebrae. Oh. And I woke up in the hospital and saw this, this man who I only heard of and saw at the stadium and I, I was really, it just seemed odd that he was in Linstead Hospital. <laughs> uh, wow. I'm trying to figure out how he ended up at Okay, so he had been, before he went to, before he came back here as High Commissioner, he had been the doctor in, in Lucy in Hanover, and was basically the only doctor in, in Hanover. Then he came to England and uh, spent five years here. When they moved back to Jamaica, um, he spent a little time in Kingston, working at Kingston Public Hospital and, and Children's Hospital, just getting his medical feet wet again. Um, but he wanted to be posted to the country, but my mother put her foot down and said, she's not going all the way out to Hanover. She doesn't want to be that far from Kingston, so they offered him Linstead. And Linstead is only about an hour's drive from Kingston, for those who don't know. Not far from here, we have the London 2012 Olympics recently, which is completely different from the 48 Olympics. Yes. Well, they have changed. Someone asked me whether I could sum up in two words between what was the difference between 48 and 2012. And I said, no comparison. <laughs> because, yeah, that's it. I mean, it was very different. We didn't run for money. It was strictly amateur in those days. It got very difficult for some people because when you had overseas trips, you know, people had to leave their jobs and sometimes you know, they couldn't do that. And there was no money paid for it. They paid expenses, but we didn't get any pocket money or anything like that. Mm -hmm. So that there was always a problem of money as it got more international. Mm -hmm. But... Now, that didn't happen in our day. Um, we didn't have a lot of international meetings. Okay, yeah. I'm meeting John Partlett there, who you heard. He was an interesting character. He was an Olympic medalist himself. His wife was an Olympic medalist. And 
through the rambling stories, I got a real picture of Arthur Went and all the other great athletes. Uh, so if you like what we're doing on Resonance FM, we're currently running a fundraiser. So it's time for you to dig deep in your pockets for the Resonance, F- Resonance FM fundraiser. We need you. And the website for that we're going to tweet out is fundraiser.resonance.fm. And also, are you a radio maker, a sound artist or something with some work to share? Please submit a short piece for our listening event on the 8th of February. Just DM at East Coast Show on Twitter. And also Resonance, uh, other shows on Resonance are going to be um, organising a series of events for the fundraiser. I will give you a very kind of brief outline. Um, There's the Tin Can Review at the Green uh, Green Note on Tuesday the 6th of February featuring Laura James, the mining company, and James Hodder. Um, There are a couple of events at Cafe Otto. Um, So there's uh, Peter uh, Blegvad's trio on the 9th. Then there's This Is Not This Heat at Cafe Otto on Saturday, the February 10th, with Charles Bullen and Charles Hayward. The other woman fundraiser at the Victoria on Wednesday, the 7th of February, featuring Eliza Shaddad, Hannah Lou Clark, Beth White, and DJ Anne Frankenstein. And we're organising an East Coast Listening Lounge, which um, Johnny mentioned earlier, on Thursday, the 8th of February, at the Sake Bar in Dalston, which is uh, 446 Kingsland Road. Um, the tickets are just going to be a fiver. Just and, a fiver. Yeah. And um, uh, we're also going to be featuring a whole load of different artists who've been on the show. So there'll be lots of live music from people who've played on the show before. And you're doing something, Johnny, but I've never quite understood what it is that you're actually doing. Something around interactive digital uh, it's, storytelling. It's choose your own adventure, spoken word. Right. Okay. With, um, mediated through technology. Okay, technology. so intriguing yeah i can explain in detail if you want or you just come just, just come. come yeah be great. Exactly. there's loads going on just come <laughs> exactly so oh yeah we've got live music now on a resonance fm with john fairhurst so we've whetted your appetite and you're in luck we have the very talented man here with us ahead of his gig next month at the rich mix remixed festival so john I want to find out a bit more, but first things first, I think we need a bit more music, um, a bit of music, in fact. Please, bless us. Share <laughs> something with us, man. All right, I'm going to play you a little tune call. I'm going to see my baby, Mr. Little Baby's son, recently, so I guess this one's for him now. Yeah. Yeah, See my baby now, won't we have a fun Time is come, boy. Time is come, boy. Time is come now. I be on my way back home. But that's alright. That's alright now. That's alright. 
Have you always played the blues? Because like, uh, that sounded like someone who's steeped in it. You know what I mean? Yeah, like, kind of. The blues it's it's kind of where I started off, really. My, my dad taught me how to play like uh, bottleneck guitar and open tunes and stuff when I was a kid. And I just mm-hmm. grew up listening to old blues tunes, really. And then uh, I kind of ended up with this voice, which has been pretty helpful as well for uh, <laughs> too much uh, hard living. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, I kind of grew up listening to that stuff and like Captain Beefheart and loads of things. Kind of, yeah. In my heart and soul, really, like, yeah. <laughs> cool. So, um, what kind of stuff have you got recorded that we can we listen to? Like, recorded projects? Um, I've got, well, four uh, four different things I've brought out. My first one's in 2008 called Joys of Spring. I've got another album I brought out um, called Band a number of years ago. Another one called Hungry Blues and another one called Saltwater. You can find them on, like, Spotify and uh, on Bandcamp and stuff like that. Okay, so... Yeah. When will you? When can we see you playing in London soon? I mean, um, Rich third, Mix, third of February. Yeah, Rich Mix for London Remix Festival. Um, should be pretty cool. I'm going to be playing with my band, so kind of like this, but like more electric and with a drummer and a bass player. Yeah. <laughs> Tell um, us what Remix Festival is. What what kind of thing is it? Well, it's a really eclectic mix of kind of bands, a lot of stuff from you know the festival circuit. Um, yeah, it's kind of like kind of a bit of a warm up for festival season, really. Uh, like the uh, very first bit of two festival th- season, two thousand eighteen. I guess it's nice to be playing there again. I played there in two thousand fifteen, I think last. So we've got like a bunch of new material off our new album. This is probably the first time. Well, it will be the first time I'm playing out that weekend, actually. So cool. Yeah, a bit of new stuff for the summer. 
So me and John were having a chat while um, some of the sound was being recorded earlier and it just randomly came up upon some of his interests. But first of all, I'd like to describe for our listeners the most fantastic tassel jacket I've seen in many a year. <laughs> like, you, I'm going to tweet a picture of that later. But John, you were talking about how you you have, like, a, a personal family connection with art and you were talking about your father's link to it. You were talking about your mother as well. Who's a- yeah, my mum's an artist. Um you know, as we all are, I just carried on making loads of work and, uh, I, like, just keep on getting better bit by bit, really. She's uh, got a huge back catalogue of work, my mum, Jane Fairhurst. Do you think she influenced you to become a musician in, in any way as well? She's, Obviously, her parents. She's definitely supported me through the difficult sort of uh, mental anguish side of trying to be a creative of any type. And, you know, yeah, ma- massively so, really, and just encouraged me to just get on with it. And, you know, you never stop being an artist. It's not... You just have to keep going with what you do. I mean... Fame is kind of a byproduct in that, really. You just do what you do and express your times and, you know, in the way that you do, in the medium that you work in, you know, that's kind of your lot, really. And, you know, you just keep working away at it. I mean, cool. yeah. And you were talking about, like, your interest in crafts, like making bows. That was something that really... Yeah. I'd not met a, a blues man bow maker before. No, I don't I don't know if there's many about. There's not <laughs> certainly not many bowyers about anyway. Uh, yeah. Oh, you're all right, yeah. Yeah, definitely. it's a, quite a sort of a niche kind of thing. It's something I started doing when I was a kid and I'm I just I'm I'm, I'm more and more interested in it all the time really. Um in sort of traditional crafts from around the world and you know, keeping sort of uh crafts and skills alive that have kind of died off in a, in a huge way that actually survived on as human beings for many many tens or hundreds of thousands of years, you know. Yeah, um, exactly. There's something visceral about making as well, isn't there? About well, yeah, it's, it's kind of like a, it's an exercise in forgetting your own ego. Really, it's not you know you start off making trying to make a bow with a piece of wood, but it's actually up to the piece of wood which way it goes, and you have to just kind of let go of yourself, really. You know, just be be good at making the thing what it wants to be, rather than forcing your own uh, will onto onto something. Well, I hear that. Is yeah. there is there like a bow making community? Do, do people connect with each other and talk about? Much more so in in th- there is worldwide yeah. actually yeah um, but I mean like it's quite a, it is quite a niche thing really particularly like really handmade wooden traditional crafts there's such long winded things to make and you know just even seasoning the wood you've got to wait like five six years sometimes for a piece of wood to be ready but yeah people do talk to each other about stuff there's a big community in America really because it it kind of continued on as a as a thing really there you know like an unbroken sort of. Uh, making sort of history that kind of we lost here you know quite a long time ago should we should we have some more music yeah if you all right be down to play something yeah for sure i'm going to play you uh let me retune this thing a sec i'm going to play a little little finger picking tune i've been working on cool oh yeah where can we find out about your music john my website which is uh johnfairhurst.com um facebook which is uh john fairhurst band um yeah. Or come to Rich Mix on a Or come to Rich Mix, yeah. <laughs> Third of Feb. Sorry. My guitar's. Lo- love a bit of live tuning. Yeah. It's real. It's, just, it's really it, happening. It, it, it is. <laughs> it's not pre recorded. Let's go for this.
you. Thank you so I much. I have got a name for that. If you can come up with one, that would be great. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, uh, my mind has suddenly gone blank. I've got one. It's terrible. Do you want it anyway? Yeah, go, go for right. it. Right, foot stomping, finger picking. Yeah, yeah. It's more descriptive than a sort yeah, of... It's uh, my name, really. Yeah, yeah, it's, it's not, not really. It's more description. Genre. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Thanks so much. That was John Fairhurst. Hopefully, uh, if we've got time, we'll hear another song later on from your um, CD. Cool. And... Um, just to remind everyone, John is playing at the Folk Ghetto stage with Holly Molly and the Crackers, Young Waters, Ben Summerstring Band and DJ Hot Bread on the 2nd or the 3rd? 3rd. The 3rd of February at Rich Mix. And thank you very much to Lizzie from Evans Above for putting us in touch. Yeah, cheers. Um, so Jessie can't be with us, but she sent in sounds from her project based in Glasgow, an oral history archive of Glaswegians who were born outside the UK. Lots of the voices you'll hear are from East Glasgow, and many of the stories could be straight out of East London. My name is Gamali Tojru. Elvira Grossman. Margaret Johan. Maradze Martin Matrimbo. My name is Real Mahmoud. Or you can say Reel Mohammed Abdel Hai if you want to be authentic. I was born on the 11th of May 1959. August 2nd, 1961. My date of birth is 11.05.79. Uh, hello, my name is Tim. I was born on the 5th of December 2000. Oh my god. <laughs> <laughs> I wasn't born in 2000. Um, 5th of December 1992. That's my birthday. <laughs> and where were you born? Um, I was born in Bangkok, Thailand. In Cork. In Ireland, Republic of Ireland. Baku, Azerbaijan. In the southwest of Ghana. Poland, in the city of Benin-Wuj. What I liked about Glasgow from, from, I think it's fair to say, the very start, and what I still like about it, uh, is that it's very much a no-nonsense place. Um, you know, you, you would hardly be in a bus stop for more than five minutes before you start chatting to people. Uh, certainly, if you need help, Glaswegians are a terribly friendly bunch, and uh, I've always got on with well with um, that kind of mindset. One of the things that I remember I asked my brother was, do the cars here have horns? <laughs> <laughs> you know, and the reason is that in Ghana, <laughs> when, you know, when you're in the streets in Ghana, you hear horns and engines, you know, and people honk just for the fun of it. And I was here for two two weeks and I didn't hear a single beat. We faced 100 days of continuous rain. It was the kind of weather I never, ever, even in my wildest dreams could imagine. It was so bad that the subway was closed down for a few days. If you check the records, you will see. It was the autumn of 1994. And I became extremely depressed. And I must say that my first year in Glasgow was the worst year of my entire life. Not even the communist past in Poland became so painful in my memory later on even when I look back than the first year of Glasgow because I was completely unprepared for how much the rain and the gloominess of weather can affect you and it obviously affected me terribly even though I didn't quite realize so I was going to work crying and I was coming home crying <laughs> 
and there were a few times where I kind of stood around taking pictures and smiling at orange marches passing by thinking, oh, how fun, it's a carnival. <laughs> no one told me, right? Everyone was looking at me like, mm, should she be here? <laughs> how fun, the carnival, we love <laughs> So, um, yeah, you, uh, yeah, pick things up as you go along, right? <laughs> Been often asked, you know, why is it you haven't gone back to India if you had such a wonderful life there? You know, which is a natural question to for anyone to ask. And I said, well, we had a careers here, and I never thought of, you know, you kind of it's it's like a, my Brit. I'd often joke and say, well, the Brit stayed for 200 odd years. I'm just returning the compliment. <laughs> that didn't go down too well. <laughs> You know, when, when we first moved to Pollock, there was a um, Tanzanian family in our block, and we quickly became one family <laughs> in a very nice way. But we realized that some people in the neighborhood, you know, were giving a, a lot of hassle. You know, they would throw stones at their windows, they would bash their car. So they left. They became fed up and they moved out. So for us, it was a big loss that, you know, but then immediately they turned it to, onto us, you know. Um, our van was bashed twice. You know, the police came in. We couldn't find the one who did it. Uh, even though, you know, we, we knew the ones who did it. We, I saw them doing it, uh, but it didn't, the police didn't, couldn't solve the problem. And then, and then the second time and the third time, uh, but one of the things that I was very sure about was, you know, I asked myself, so if we also move and another person comes and they do the same to me, when will it stop? You know, so I just decided, well, until it stops, <laughs> you know. Um, because it, it, I understand that whoever did what they did, they're doing it to us because we look different. And we look different to them because they've not come so close. They've not come close to us enough. That's why they think we're different. So initially it was a game. It was a case where if you're walking down in one of the main roads and you see another black person, there'd be a little smile and a nod like, ah, more of us in here, right? Now there's just so many of us. All these foreigners coming into Glasgow. <laughs> Taking our jobs, eating in our restaurant. <laughs> but no, what I'm trying to say is... <laughs> it's a lot more metropolitan, it's a lot more international um, than it was. It was initially, right, but it is a lot more now. The first the first one was uh, only a weekend trip, so, <laughs> you know, two, three days in Dangaval. <laughs> and then the second time was um, two, three days in Dangaval again, and then we got transferred to Yarlswood Detention Centre, and there it was for two months. It's quite a long time. Well, there was, yeah, it's quite a long time, but now when I think of it, there was single pe people there, you know, who were six months, three months, like, more than us. Like, I remember we were the first family to be there, 
and Yarzo is massive like it's like a prison it's two floor and you know it's like each room's like forward and across you know the corridors so it was like massive and we were like one of the first families and then by time there was like lots of families started coming and leaving and there was families who stayed same amount with us and there was families who when we got out they got out as well like we kind of kept in touch like I had one of fr- I made a friend like you know we made lots of friends I still see her like even though she's not here she's in Sheffield um, we, we, we still know like what happened to some of the families but then there was cases like I said um, the ones who got sent back to their country and I don't know what happened to them like you know if they're alive or if they moved on or if they came back again so yeah I always think about my my immigration status because there's a lot of talk about immigration at the moment and people often don't realise that I'm one of the baddies Um, where where it was such a diverse bunch um, and people have so many different reasons for, for moving around and moving countries and um, and at the same time, it's quite sobering that I'm the one, one of the ones that, that you know, I got it easy because I, I can speak English to a, a high level and um, I, I can pass quite easily because I'm white. I know at the moment, you know, that there are, you know, migration is quite a topical issue and, and there are different takes on it. People see the negative side of it and concentrate on it. In the mainstream media, you hear more about how migrants are not really good for the economy. <laughs> you know, there's so much political debate about migration, but uh, everybody's life is touched by migration, either positively or negatively. Uh, but I think the positive is downplayed. You know, if if we could take a closer look, we'll see far, far, far more than is obvious at the moment. You've been listening to Stories from Sagoa, the Settled in Glasgow Oral History Archive. Sagoa is an online collection of conversations with Glaswegians who were born outside the UK. To hear more from the archive, visit www.sigoha.org. Follow us on Twitter at Tales of Glasgow. If you would like to share your story or know someone who would, email settledinglasgow at gmail.com. And it's time for us to say goodbye. Eastcast will be back soon on Resonance 104.4 FM with more sounds and stories from East London and beyond. In the meantime, you can find everything on Eastcast show. And to play us out is something from John Fairhurst. It's a track called I'm Coming Home. So thanks for listening and join us again next month on Eastcast.